back to Real Perspective, the podcast based on a YouTube channel, based on a podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, MJ Smith. And I'm Akamori. And um, this week, we are it's just the two of us, uh, and we are here to talk about Top Gun Maverick, the latest Tom Cruise action blockbuster vehicle um, to come out. It's been delayed, what, two years now? Or a year yeah, now? yeah, two years. Yeah, so it's supposed to come out in 2020, and then, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic happened, and... Uh, now that things are starting to open back up, they released it to uh, theaters across the world and the nation, and it paid off for them <laughs> yeah, <laughs> big time. This movie is a hit, man. Um, so it's a sequel to Top Gun, the 1986 original starring Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer um, about uh, Navy flight school in San Diego. And this is that's about that same flight school 30 years later. Or 36 years later. Uh, it would have been roughly 30 years. Yeah, when they filmed right? it. 30, yeah. 34 years. It would have been 34 years originally. Um, and Maverick is called back as an instructor to train uh, a team of highly skilled Navy pilots to infiltrate and destroy a, a an illegal um, uh, uranium depository, essentially. Um and yeah it's just kind of about maverick uh who's tom cruise's character navigating being older and maybe not wiser and (laughs) um his sort of you know play by my own rules uh attitude bumping heads with the um sort of stoic traditionalism of the united states military and also one of the pilots is uh, Goose, who was his old partner's son. His old partner died, and he kind of blames Maverick for that. Um, mm-hmm. And sort of like resolving that tension between those two characters. Other than that, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's it's a pretty simple movie um, <laughs> at its core. So, uh, Mike, what did you think about Top Gun Maverick? Well, I... Really liked it. Um, the fact that it was pretty simple to go and describe is actually, I think, to his benefit. It doesn't try to chew off more than it can chew. Well, I just ruined that phrase. Um, <laughs> it, you know, it went and um, knows exactly what it is, which is an 80s throwback, um, but it's filmed with modern techniques. So you get the good aspects, I think, about those types of movies, which is their simplicity, their characters who are pretty well-defined um, and, and kind of simplistic, but uh, enjoyable and memorable. And it combines that with the latest upgrades in technology. You have the new uh, cameras that can go and be in the cockpit, and you have the cinematography that's fantastic. Uh, and it kind of combines into a throwback that feels modern, yet also has the sensibilities of one of those kind of classic movies. So, in general, I really liked it. You know, it's it, I think it might be getting to the point where maybe everyone's overpraising it a bit. But um, yeah. on the other hand, it's really solid. It's got good fundamentals. Um, it's, it's shot well. And it leaves you feeling pretty good. And I kind of think that's what we need right now. So, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's uh, it's one hell of a summer blockbuster, man. Like, yeah, it is. I feel like sort of the platonic ideal of what a summer movie should be. Yeah. Um, and it's refreshing to have one of those things not be connected to a superhero franchise exactly. or a sci-fi franchise. Um, and it's paying off too because people are seeing it across the board. I mean, my screening was sold out. Um, and every, 
uh, walk of life and age range was defined in that uh, mm-hmm. in that that screening room, which I haven't seen at a Marvel movie in a long time. So it was really kind of refreshing to have that, and I think audiences feel the same way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like like we said, it's it's pretty damn simple. Like it is it is not a complicated movie, and that is, I think, one of the biggest strengths of it yes uh it is it is the perfect sort of four quadrant movie like it almost feels like it was lab grown to please everyone everywhere (laughs) exactly yeah well you know and as these uh marvel movies have gotten so far up there you know what um with their convolutedness and their callbacks and you know now there's this multiverse type stuff it's nice to have a movie that's kind of just relatively self-contained i know it's a sequel but it doesn't really require you to even have watched the first movie it it fills you on enough that i mean frankly it it could be its own movie just fine and you would you would know like the character yeah they have backstories they have lives and that's the basis of any story so um it it's pretty standalone and and holds on its own and it it's not trying to go and surprise you um, or have some like giant cameo, although there are some cameos, um, but it, it's not really about that. Um, and it's just kind of back to simple storytelling fundamentals. And that's what I really appreciated about it. Yeah, it's very, um, like I said, very simple, but at the same time on a technical level, it is one of, I think maybe the most complex films I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, there yeah. are... There's so many shots in this movie that take place in the air that like, like literally my drop, my job drop. Like it was like, yeah, I, I don't understand how you got this footage of these people. And the, the movie, uh, another one of its biggest strengths is it goes out of its way to show you that this is for real as yeah. much as we could make it for real. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really really amazing to watch and this so this film was directed by joseph kaczynski i think he's sort of the brainchild behind all this yeah Uh, and i honestly i think that guy is this might be i don't think i'm overstating this but it might sound like a hot take but i don't think it is i think he is as vital to pushing cinema forward in the 21st century as James Cameron was in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. No, uh, you're not and wrong. I, and I, I don't think he's getting the same sort of respect that Cameron gets. No, um, you're right. Off of that yeah, because, so you want to explain why you why you think that? Because I agree with you. Yeah. So the 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 thing is, one, he essentially piloted this de aging technology that that was used is being used ubiquitously by Disney now. For Disney in uh, 2009's Tron Legacy by doing the DH Jeff Bridges, mm-hmm. which for the time was like mind blowing. Like, yeah, it was. It, I remember it being really impressive. It doesn't hold up as well now, but neither does the original Tron. But it's still really impressive to watch that movie and think about 1982. Yeah. Um, and Tr- Tron Legacy, I think, is the same. Um, mm-hmm. And then in Oblivion, which was a handful of years later, I think 2013, 2014. Yeah. He was one of the first people to use the big LED screens mm-hmm. in lieu of green screen right. um, to make sort of the, the the spacescapes that you see in that or the, the landscapes that you see sprawling out from the tower in Oblivion. 
And now, once again, Star Wars is using that all the time right. uh, to make things like Boba Fett. And um, I, they used it in Solo. I remember one of the behind-the-scenes shots of that Ron Howard posted, essentially using that same technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and now here, they've developed these special IMAX cameras that will film in an IMAX aspect ratio, but are small and lightweight enough to fit, you know, several of them onto a fighter jet um right which i mean christopher nolan was trying to figure out how to do that as far back as the dark knight and he couldn't get it yeah Um, because he 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 originally wanted to film the dark knight fully in the imax aspect ratio and top gun maverick is filmed entirely in imax like if you go see it on an on a real imax screen it's in imax the whole movie which is crazy yeah right um and then on top of that you have the pairing of him and tom cruise which oblivion isn't like good um, I think it's, <laughs> no, I think not it's like in a traditional boring. sense no <laughs> no it's I, I thought that movie was like pretty boring but yeah. um i like it but it's not like objectively like really good i agree yeah i think tron legacy is the same way but i like tron legacy a lot um, yeah yeah I agree. but it's a very style over substance type of movie mm-hmm. and in a lot of ways top gun maverick is too but the style is so good that it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah it overcomes it and, and there's like just enough substance that it's it's okay yeah yeah for sure there's definitely like really good character beats and character arcs for as simple as they are mm-hmm. in it that are really really effective still but we'll, yes. we'll touch on that um in a second but with top gun maverick like you also have the pairing of tom cruise who's like whole thing is these death defying stunts right of these, right like, that's become like his brand alive. over the last 10 years especially yeah and boy howdy is that on screen in this movie as well like there's there's certain shots where i was like he looks like he's going through it like this is usually he looks pretty like calm cool and collected going through this stuff but there were scenes in this movie where i was like yeah i don't know man yeah you're you're getting up there yeah no it's true and you know i mean this it's definitely a testament to you know how Tom Cruise became like a producer on the Mission Impossible movie, so he could approve some of his own stunts and all this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. That he's definitely a driving force behind this being technically as impressive as it is, you know, from a production standpoint. Um, and you know, I'll also just kind of add that in itself is kind of an '80s throwback, right? Because like in an older yeah. type of film throwback, I remember like you know the big selling point of a, a James Bond movie, for example, would be the crazy stunts that they went and pulled off like with uh-huh. a car or you know something like that. That's like what used to be the appeal behind like a really big action movie, and we've lost that especially as green screen has become um, in vogue. And to see that kind of done again, it, to see the kind of practicality behind some of these stunts, it does add weight and tension to the yeah. scenes to feel like these people are, are in danger to know that they were actually kind of put in these situations. Uh, and so that in itself was kind of refreshing to be reminded of that kind of movie. Yeah. I mean, there's, if you read up on any of the behind the scenes stuff, like they did as much of this practically as they could. And they put these actors through those fighter jet maneuvers as much as they possibly could as well, which is right. crazy. Like, there's like they they would have to they were essentially directing themselves yeah um in the air and having to do i was reading they have to make they had to do like their own hair and makeup touch-ups in the (laughs) cockpit of these fighter jets sometimes and it would take two or three hours they would go do all this crazy stuff in a fighter jet land kaczynski would have to review the footage and then decide if they needed to do it again but it would take two or three hours every time and he said there were several people on the cast who would just puke every time they came back Jeez, Um, yeah 
well, like, and they had like 800 ahead. or 900 hours of like b-roll footage and stuff wow. like that that's insane like yeah. from an editing standpoint right just mm -hmm. to figure out like what's the best cuts of all of that that's crazy yeah, yeah. and like it, but then at the at the heart of it like Kaczynski had this idea, Kaczynski and his writing partner, whose name escapes me right now, but they were, I was reading an interview with them about pitching, and I'm just going to read the excerpt that I'm, I read. He says, the first film is a drama, even though it's wrapped in this glass, glossy action film. This would be the same thing, but it would be Maverick reconciling with Goose's son set against the mission, this mission that would take them both deep into enemy territory. As soon as I told him that, him being Tom, Cru Tom Cruise, mm -hmm. I could see the wheels in his head start to turn. Then I pitched the idea of Dark Star, the opening sequence, which Maverick's doing when we find him, which I think is also important because Maverick is still Maverick, but he's not buzzing the tower at his local airbase. He's on the cutting edge of aviation, pushing the envelope as always. But he's alone. He's alone at the beginning of this film. Then I talked about shooting practically, and obviously Tom is 100% in for all that. And then the title. I said, we can't call it Top Gun 2. We've got to call it Top Gun Maverick. It's a character story. So right then and there, he pulled out his phone, called the head of Paramount and said, we're making a sequel to Top Gun and boom, it was greenlit. Um, <laughs> so that's that's the sort of power that Tom Cruise has in Hollywood. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I I think that all of that shows itself on the screen. It's also like really expensive looking, which is cool because like all these Marvel shits don't look ex like they cost $250 million. Um, <laughs> and this does. Where any like, of it went. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It all went to marketing, I guess. But, yeah. And, and, uh, and all the names that they had to go in contract, you know, to go and be a you know, yeah. the top line of the poster. Yeah. Yeah. That too. But this movie like looks expensive. Like it looks like a movie, you know, mm -hmm. like, and I think that's like, that's essentially the, what it comes down to is it's just a, capital letters movie you know at yep. no point are you unaware you're watching a movie but that's the point mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's a return to that cinematic experience and i think it's part of the reason why people are responding to it so well is i think over the last decade especially we just really have lost um a sense of what like a good movie is and we've filled it with all kinds of notions of fan service and callbacks and cameos and and like you know uh post-credit teasers and like, I mean, this is going to get me on my Marvel rant for a bit, but, you know, a lot of these movies are kind of just advertisements for the next movie you're going to watch. And mm -hmm. it's yeah. not like this, this movie at all is like that. I mean, there's definitely cameos. Um, you know, there's a pleasing fan service -y thing with involving Iceman, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. But generally, it's in service of the story, A. But B, it, it's just like, that's the way movies are were made back then is, yeah, okay, maybe they have a sequel and they bring back an old character, fine, but it was done in service of the plot and it's advanced the character arcs uh, primarily. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And the, the, the character arcs, once again, simple in this movie, very like textbook archetypes on yeah. display here. But one, the performers they got fit the archetypes very well. Yes. And, you know, Cruz, you know, I, I, Tom Cruise is a complicated guy as far as a performer goes for me, because I like pretty much everything he's in for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, like the mummy sucks, but you know, Hey, they're yep. not, you're not all going to have winners, but um, the thing about him is he's been, he's been Tom Cruise for so long that like, what's the last movie you saw him act in? Like Tropic Thunder. It feels like sometimes. Yeah. Or collateral. Yeah. Yeah. One, like, of, one of those two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and, and like Tropic Thunder, like he's buried under all these prosthetics. So the last time he like looked like Tom Cruise and was acting was like collateral. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And so. And, and in this, yeah, yeah. You, you realize like you're always t- with that tension of um, realizing that he's never not Tom Cruise in this movie, but he somehow right. kind of escapes it a little bit. It's interesting. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, he, he well, he doesn't escape it. it. Actually, I feel like he leans into it a little bit more. Like the myth, yeah, the, the mythos of, of Tom Cruise is kind of discussed yeah. in this. Yeah, it's sort of like you know, and I, I texted you this. It's kind of like the Tom Cruise version of the Irishman, where like mm. the Irishman is definitely Robert De Niro and Scorsese and Pacino and Pesci looking back on their career of mafia films mm-hmm. and, you know, deciding whether or not what they did glorified that life. And, you know, what it, it all wrapped up in the context of uh, this lonely gangster at the end of his life, realizing that, oh, what all he did was for nothing, essentially. Like he's, right. he's the same as every other old person in this old folks home, just getting ready to die lonely. Yeah. And so did he need to go through that life of killing and, you know, debauchery and this, obviously the Tom Cruise movies don't lean into heavy subject matter the way the Scorsese movies do. But this is him looking back at this sort of like action hero, maverick, play by my own rules, do my own stunts, you know, mm-hmm. stare death in the face type of, 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 uh, you know, action hero machismo that Tom Cruise kind of brought since the first Top Gun. You're right. Um, and through and through the Mission Impossible movies and all that. And so in that sort of meta context, I think it's really kind of great. Like, I, I was really nice to see him kind of tackle that in a way that suits Tom Cruise being able to tackle that. Yeah. Well, you know, because it's also in conversation with the idea that he is probably the last real action star out there. Um, he's yeah. probably the last real draw of just his name alone can drive people to movies because you've seen, yeah. for example, I know I've been harping on the superhero train for a bit, but a lot of these superhero actors themselves are not draws to particular uh, movies outside those superhero movies. You know, we've seen Chris Hemsworth, for example, try to have like a career outside of the Marvel movies, and in general, like his yeah. movies haven't done very well. Um, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. Even like the right. face of Marvel. Like, yeah, you I know. mean, part of it is project selection. Like he went from Marvel to fucking Doolittle, you know. Yeah, but, right. Like, yeah. The, but like that Sherlock, the first Sherlock Holmes did pretty well, mm-hmm. um, and that was it basically. Right. Yeah. And so, um, Tom Cruise though is, is somebody who can still launch a movie largely based off of his own uh, brand power. Now, even that I think has kind of waned a little bit. Like American Made or whatever was not um, as big. Yeah. Um, yeah, but... I think it's more selective. I think is if it's in a franchise, like because the, the Mission Impossible still do pretty well. Right. Right. But you know, he launched Jack Reacher, and though it kind of tread itself into the ground by the second movie, um, it wasn't yeah. like you know. I know Jack Reacher is a franchise of books, but mm-hmm. he is kind of the one who made that possible. So. Um, yeah, and, and then yeah. This... I mean, the Jason Bourne movies sold themselves on Matt Damon, essentially, right? Right, and his right. Star power at the time, exactly. Like, no one, no one had really read the, the Bourne Identity books, like. Yeah, um, yeah, um, yeah. If you ask people, you know, how they're familiar with the character, it probably you know 80 percent to twenty percent, you know, probably even more than that, yeah. ninety to percent to ten percent would say it's because of the movies. So, um, yeah. you know, this movie's kind of examining the legacy of uh, the the last great action hero as well, which kind of parallels with Maverick being kind of the last great fighter pilot. 
and yeah. and whether or not you know the question of is he going to be replaced and by drones in the movie but in well i would say um in in oh, yeah. reality is like cg and <laughs> bullshit yeah. is re- yeah, going to replace capes. him yeah you <laughs> is know going to be replaced by capes yeah um, <laughs> yeah i mean uh yeah i mean who else is can sell a movie the way tom cruise can now leo a little bit yeah yeah a little bit like right. you know yeah but, but he tends to make more r-rated fare so naturally mm-hmm. that's going to have a lower audience draw in general like right, tom yeah. cruise is the quintessential pg-13 action hero and like leo doesn't really make action movies right um but he he can put butts in seats based on his name being and stuff um Especially if he's working with a director like Scorsese or Tarantino. Tarantino more than Scorsese, it seems like. But Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, but no one's doing it the way Tom Cruise is. Like, you're not going to take your kid if you're in your right mind to see freaking Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you know? Right. Uh, but you, 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 there were a ton of kids at my screening of Maverick. And mm-hmm. the yeah, one it... next to me fell asleep for the entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but Tom Cruise definitely has like that cross-generational appeal still to him um that yeah, a lot of people have definitely. lost i mean you know even will smith i think you know at one point was the biggest uh star in the world um not so much yeah. now um yeah but you know it, he could have been that type of person but you know he he has not managed his brand well even well before the oscar slap you know the last decade <laughs> yeah. he's he's mostly burned uh through right, his goodwill the last two decades yeah yeah uh, i mean I honestly say. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're 20 years into the 2000s, and what's the most notable thing he's done in this entire time period? Yeah. Uh, yeah, basically. I Am Legend? You know, I Am Legend, I think, was the last real big thing. Hancock, sort of. But, you know, yeah, are any of these things I, well regarded? <laughs> I, Robot, and I, like, I'm an I Am Legend fan. I, I still, yeah, I, I still like it. But I haven't seen it, I haven't seen it in a minute, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to be perfectly right. honest. But um, I remember liking that movie. Um, and feeling kind of like in the minority of it actually for liking mm-hmm. it. But um, yeah, I mean, even, I mean, yeah. Oscars controversy aside, even like King Richard, like that was, is essentially a streaming movie. Like it came out on HBO max, you know? Um, and I saw it and he was really bad in it. <laughs> He's not good in that movie. Um, I, I feel like he was acted circles around by everyone else in that movie. And in this, I think Tom Cruise gives the best performance in the movie. But that being said, I think a lot of the supporting cast is really strong. Yeah. Um, well, and that's the other aspect of this that I think really helps it. Um, we can get into to some of these characters. Um, you know, Miles Teller does a great job. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't particularly like that guy in, in real life yeah. from what I've read. But, um, yeah. you know, he's been in some good movies before. Obviously, Whiplash is a great movie and he does a good performance yeah. in it. But... Um, I wasn't expecting to like him nearly as much um, in this movie, and he was really good. He's solid. He's likable. Yeah. Um, no, he's the, really good in it, and to the point where I'm like mad because they're definitely making Top Gun three. Oh um, yeah. But I don't think Cruz can be involved in it the way he was involved with this one, just like based on how I was watching his body react to some of the G's he was pulling in that fighter jet. I, yeah. was like, I was like, bro, I don't think you have another one of these in you, which means Miles Teller is going to be the main character in the next one. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm like kind of mad about it because I don't really like Miles Teller, but he is very good in this movie. Yeah. yeah. And he's very good in Whiplash. Like when he's good, he's really, really, really good. But mm-hmm. when he's yeah. not, I really don't like him. Yeah. Well, you know, and just talking about if there was a Top Gun 2, 
most of these characters, I think, could support it on their own without Tom Cruise. I mean, you know, I agree oh, with you. Yeah, I'd be a little sure. annoyed without Miles or with Miles Teller being the hero, um, just as because he's a person, uh, yeah, in real life. But um, you know, I, I think that narratively, I don't really know if there's much else to do with Maverick as a character no, um, either. I think this leaves him in a good spot. Yeah. But um, you know, beyond just Miles Teller, uh, that Glenn Powell guy plays Hangman. Dude. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the guy's got charisma like out the wazoo. Yeah, that guy almost outdoes Cruz at his own game. And yeah, like he is such a perfect guy to cast as for Maverick to look at and be like, oh, is this what I was like? Yeah, um, right. And like have that realization of like, oh, I was kind of a piece of shit. Yeah. Um, you know, but like really charming still, too. Um, because that's essentially the arc of Top Gun, which I think a lot of people don't necessarily realize if they're thinking about Top Gun is like Maverick's not, he's the protagonist of the movie, but he's Mm -hmm. not exactly the hero until the end. No, Um, right. And he's not like really glorified by, by anyone else or by even the movie really. Like he's kind of treated as like a guy who is detrimental to himself and other people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, while he like, the movie does do, we watched it the night before, and I actually think it doesn't hold up great um, to some modern sensibilities. But one of the things it does do right is is Maverick's arc in the movie is pretty solid, but I yeah. think it gets, it, it does kind of get lost in sort of one, the the high gloss action Bruckheimeriness of it, mm-hmm. and two, the kind of cornball 80s, like, you know, uh, either you know, uh, take my breath away, or yeah. Danger Zone playing every ten minutes, and those are the only two, <laughs> yeah, the, two like music cues in the, the whole movie. movie. They play each one of those three times in the movie. Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, and like the real, really a synth-heavy soundtrack on top of that. Yeah. Um, but it, Maverick's arc in that movie is like realizing, like, oh, I'm like, I'm, I'm detrimental to the the mission at hand here, and like it has gotten someone killed even though it wasn't necessarily my fault directly like mm-hmm. it, it it also i could have not put us in the situation that required us to eject in the first place right um so that to sort of look have that character 36 years later and after the loss of his best friend and after essentially putting a rift between him and the only connection he has left mm-hmm. to his best friend which is Miles Teller's character because we find out in the film that he he had Miles Teller's characters. Uh, his name's Rooster. His call sign is Rooster. So right. he has he had Rooster's uh, papers pulled from application to the academy when he first applied, which set him back like three or four years. Mm-hmm. And Rooster has always resented him for that. But we find out that the reason why is because Meg Ryan's character, who they also killed off, um, uh, off screen, didn't want Rooster to join the Navy. Right, um, and so he was fulfilling Meg Ryan's last wishes, but was going to take the brunt of the resentment because he didn't want his last—he didn't want Rooster's last memory of his mom to be that of resentment, essentially. Right. Um, yeah. So that whole arc is actually really interesting when you put Rooster with Hangman, even though they mm-hmm. don't—they're not like—they're um, not the same in that you know Rooster isn't Hangman's flying partner, but they—they they have that same dynamic of little bit rooster has a little bit of goose and a little bit of Iceman. yeah compared to hangman who's essentially maverick right? yeah for this yeah. new crop of pilots 
Um, and so having that sort of foil and arc play out in front of Tom Cruise or in front of Maverick with 36 years of wisdom behind it mm-hmm. is actually a really great, I think, device to tell this story. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the right angle to go and take with it. Um, yeah. You know, and beyond even those characters, you know, there's like these smaller characters like Bob and Phoenix or whatever, <laughs> yeah. you know, who are like. They're like your archetypal kind of characters, you know, like the the one like the jokey kind of like nerd-ish kind of character everyone everyone underestimates, but like is pretty good at what he does still, you know. Um, and, but they all serve their roles pretty well, you know. John Hand plays basically that the tight ass like superior officer, but he does it really well yeah. too. Um, they're like they all fit like a glove, and it, it's like how do I describe this? Like this is this warm, cozy feeling about this whole movie where it's like. Yeah, yeah, some of these things you've seen before, but like they're just well done and well executed. Like it's not surprising you. There's yeah. no subverting expectations. Although there is one aspect, which is that like I feel like you, the marketing and other things like that, kind of led you to believe that like maybe Maverick is gonna die or something like that, and then the movie mm-hmm. subverts it. Um, and it doesn't have any any real major character die besides Iceman, you know. Um, I guess. Yeah. You know, but uh, despite that, like it's it's just solidly kind of being charming the entire time. And the whole cast is a reflection mm-hmm. of that. Like you kind of feel like those people are like likable. And while like, you know, Hangman's kind of a douchebag, for example, he, he's honorable. Um, even, even yeah. like, like before he goes and has like the last minute save at the end of the movie, like he does go and like do his job. You know, he doesn't like go and protest like too much when they don't choose him for the mission or, you know, other shit like that. Like they're all yeah. professionals. Um, and, and so you, you kind of like all of them by the end of them. And I felt like, you know, I, I don't know if we need a Top Gun 3, but, I mean, I'd be down if there's just more cool action scenes and planes, so I guess yeah. I'm down for it. But I'm more than happy to watch, like, this cast of characters grow and, and kind of, like, take things into their own hands. Yeah, I mean, if I have one criticism of the movie, it almost has to do with those recruits as well, because the the premise, as, as we were told the premise at the beginning of the film, is he's got these crop of 12 pilots, and he's got to narrow it down to six people he's going to take on this mission. Right. Well, we only follow the six so we get the 12 they show up and they're in one scene but six of them are glorified extras right and the thing about that is that that kind of bugs me is like one of them is manny jacinto who played jason on the good place Mm -hmm. so they went and got like at least somewhat recognizable people yeah to be like completely cut out of this movie essentially and like I like Manny Jacinto, so I was excited to see what they were going to do with his character. And he doesn't—he doesn't have a line in the movie. Yeah, he's—he's in, he's, he's in three or four shots in the whole movie, and so I felt like it did. We did kind of abandon the premise of like you've got to take the twelve and hack mm. it down to six. Yeah, it's like um, it's never—it's so, never really in doubt who's going to be chosen because of the focus of the movie. Yes. Yeah. And so in that way, there's like, I don't think the movie has a stakes problem necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, we've already got sort of a, a plot safe character in Maverick because he's Tom Cruise. Like the thing about Tom Cruise movies is, and this is where he brushes up the most against the sort of, for as much as he is the sort of anti-Fast and Furious, he is very much like, well, Tom Cruise isn't going to freaking die in this movie. Yeah, yeah. And um, and, like, and Tom so, Cruise is going to be the ultimate badass, like, always type, yeah. like, thing. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they handle it well in this. But so, but, but I think having 
that Tom Cruise-ness aspect mm-hmm. in this movie, in addition to the um the 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 focus being only on these six even though we know that we they've explicitly tell us there's 12 that he's got to get through and we never see the other six is it's like slightly annoying it's not a big deal the movie works great either way but it is like it kind of takes away some tension from the training sequences of who's going to get chosen Yes. Yeah. I, I would say the um, aspect of who's going to like get chosen um, is, is definitely de-emphasized. Um, it's more about, I think actually kind of laying down the stakes of what the final mission is, is, is more what right. the training's about, like in, in terms of plot purpose in this movie now. Um, Cause it's kind of structured like a heist movie, right? Like you kind of lay out mm-hmm. from the very beginning of the movie, okay, what's this mission going to entail? And then you have the characters kind of practicing for it like each step of the way so that by the end of the movie you understand like generally like what the game plan is and you're comparing that against how their training went. And so Mm -hmm. that's more what the training ends up being is almost like the, the practice for the final mission to like define the stakes and the terms and scope of the final act. Um, Yeah. Because that's where the tension comes from. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I really liked that. Like I, I, you know, I tweeted that, the premise of the movie is, uh, it, or the the elevator pitch of the movie is, what if the last forty minutes of Star Wars was two hours, right. uh, but it also served as the Irishman for Tom Cruise's particular brand of machismo, and it works like, yeah, it it, it works great. <laughs> it's it's a really clear cut way. Like the movie communicates its goal really really clearly, which I think might be why I'm hung up on the the twelve cutting down to six thing is it communicates that very clearly and everything else is very clearly communicated, but then it abandons that and it's like okay, well then why did you even communicate that in the first place? Yeah, because I feel like it's an, an extraneous part of the story. Yeah, I agree. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Like it, it, not a big big deal, but also like uh, it's it, it could have used a little tightening up right there, but it's still a tight two hour movie and you know it's extremely crowd pleasing and the end is amazing and you know the the technical aspects and the 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 action sequences more than deliver so oh yeah right like i said not a huge deal at all but also just annoying for how clean the narrative is otherwise yes that sticks out more yeah it's so lean and tight generally that it it definitely feels like it's a vestige of of like another version of the script and you know i don't know maybe maybe there was like some stuff that was on the cutting room floor where there was more focus on some of these other characters um but it it definitely is noticeable i agree with you um you know i mean one one other aspect if i was going to go and have any sort of criticism of the plot per se is uh jennifer Connelly's extremely um likable and Uh still extremely attractive too um you know she's she has a lot of charisma, but you know the, the love story is a little more extraneous in this than it is in the original yeah. uh, Top Gun. I'd say uh, it, I don't I don't feel like it's as important, but in some ways it's kind of refreshing. Like it, it's there, and you know there, you can definitely feel the attraction between them, and you know maybe it's like a little more adult in a way, it's less less puppy love feeling. They're more uh, yeah. mature as people than, for example, Tom Cruise and Charlie were in the first movie. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's a little more, I'd say, extraneous or tacked on feeling or perfunctory. I guess I'll say perfunctory. Yeah. It doesn't feel tacked on. It It's just kind of like there for a lot of it. Um, yeah. But it doesn't well, mean I it's bad it, either. 
Yeah, I think part of it has to do with like Tom Cruise is kind of a bad romantic lead because he's so yeah. weird as like a dude. Like, uh-huh. Just because of like the, the, the Scientology of it all and just kind of how weird he is publicly and like uh, he's just a weird guy. Like I love his movies, but he's a weird dude. And so like every time he has to interact romantically with anyone in any movie. It just feels like an alien <laughs> trying to yeah. figure out like how to navigate a, a human relationship. So <laughs> I think that has more to do with Cruz's limitations as an actor by being a freaking weirdo. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that um, you are absolutely correct on that. I don't think you're underselling it. I think that's a huge yeah. underlying element there. There really hasn't been like a winning top grunt gun or sorry, a winning Tom Cruise um, relationship since maybe the first Top Gun, and even that yeah. is maybe a little more creaky than people remember from the first movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think he's I think he's all right in uh, uh, the other Tom Cruise movie of nineteen eighty six, Color of Money. Mm. I think has an all right romantic relationship, but it's a little it's a little more complex. There's a lot more nuance to it, and like uh, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the actress in that film is really good in her role, and she I I think it's also sort of pre him getting really into Scientology, so he yeah. still feels a little bit like a person. Um, but yeah, Tom Cruise in 2022 works best when he's just doing crazy stunts and like traveling. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. like he does not need to be involved in a romance with people. No one. We get yeah. it, <laughs> you know. Yeah, 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 we, we understand yeah, right. who Tom Cruise. Like, is no one like no one's really coming for that, you know. Um, in this movie and in 2022 in general, yeah. Um, but you know, also I think they handled. Uh, speaking of other characters, they handled Val Kilmer probably about as tastefully as they could. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so if you don't know, uh, Val Kilmer cannot speak anymore um, because of some throat cancer treatments he's had to have um, over the last handful of years. Um, and <clears throat> as a result, he's been in a couple movies. Like uh, he was in that movie, The, the Snowman. Um, <laughs> or, uh, and they just dubbed his voiceover and it doesn't sound like him at all. In mm-hmm. this, they basically have him type on a screen and they give him a reason why he can't speak. That's very close to why he can't speak in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, they have him type on a screen, and then when he does talk, they actually use like an a, essentially the same the same tech that I've been complaining about with um, Star Wars. <laughs> actually, this sort of respeecher uh, uh, technology where they take like other clips of him mm-hmm. uh, and and ADR lines from other films he's been in, and just like there's you know he's been in so many movies, there's just a bunch of hours of his voice recorded right. in places, and they basically assembled the few lines he does speak in the movie. Um, to sort of match up with him. They basically dub that in, but yeah. it's still his voice run through some like some filters to make it sound raspy and, and sort of like he's sick. Yeah. Um so it's it's relatively close. He can like he can sort of kind of speak if you watch interviews with him. He can't really like you can sometimes make out what he's saying. So they made it sound like pretty close to that, but within reason of being able to understand him. Yeah. Um they also used this technology. They didn't put the the sort of for not to be insensitive, but for, and for lack of a better, uh, uh, for brevity's sake, like the sick filter on this, but they use that, yeah. that technology for a documentary about his life last year called Val. That's on mm-hmm. Amazon Prime, and so I was kind of wondering if they would use that same tech in this, which they did. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, that's that's how they handle him in it, and I mean, I think that scene's the best dramatic scene in the whole movie. Absolutely, yeah. No, 
you, you can like sense the the love between them you know as, as brothers um and it, it it works like it affected me i got a little choked up by it um yeah, you know, same. The, the the brotherhood between them um was was palpable yeah. um and, and you know that's the it, most performing tom cruise has done in a since collateral <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> right yeah like he gets choked you, up you, and that's you can tell like you can see in his eyes like the like the soul yeah. and humanity there that sometimes he kind of suppresses it feels like um <laughs> yeah yeah and it, it works too in that sort of like to, to circle back around to it and not to labor it anymore but that sort of irishman looking yes. back on on sort of you know the career aspect yeah. as well that's that's the scene that really clicked with me where i was like oh this is tom cruise's irishman God. uh-huh yeah um so yeah that scene was really effective and it, it hits at the right point in the movie um and you know it, it, i kind of expected him to be involved in some way similar to this and but mm-hmm. i mean that's not a bad thing like once again yes like things that are predictable are good because they like conform or because they like they hit certain expectations logically that you expect like a, of a story to tell, um, you know. And so yeah, I, I think I his mean, involvement they, is perfect. No, it's 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 perfect. I would have liked maybe one more scene with him just because I really like the one scene he was in. Yeah, but also right. the 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 leave them wanting more is also definitely valid. Yes. Um, and yeah, you're right. I mean, this movie you know even does the thing that i really harp on is the they should have died thing mm. and mm-hmm. uh th- so this movie uh, during the climax which is incredible uh, yeah. up to up to this point it's incredible and then gets even better after this yeah uh so the climax is the big mission to destroy the uranium depot that that we've been building up to this whole time the training sequences are really great but this is like you know it's it's this it's this great moment where you we've been building up to this moment for two hours and now we get to see it pay off along with all the training i mean it's the rocky moment right like it's Mm -hmm. once again extremely simple extremely textbook i mean once again lab grown to be like set up payoff um and so we get the payoff it goes basically how we expect except maverick crash lands yeah and there's Honestly, the way it's shot, no reason for him to survive, aside from mm. the fact that he's Tom Cruise. <laughs> and this annoys me because <laughs> I think I think more movies would be well to do to kill some people off yeah. <laughs> who are main characters. And Top Gun Maverick is no exception. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got real annoyed because I was like, they should have killed him. And I think it would have been a really, 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 really poignant moment for sort of Tom Cruise and his career to have a character who dies. Yeah. Especially a character this iconic. That said, what happens after is some of the craziest shit I've ever seen happen <laughs> in an action movie. And yeah. it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I'll back up what you're saying. I, I like the version of the movie that we got. I'd also like to have another version of the movie where he dies and then you kind of see the sortie with the remaining characters who are left for the next 20 minutes. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. it, yeah. And like they kind of take over um, the rest of the film. Um, yeah. th- I think that would have been maybe a bolder choice, um, you know, obviously riskier one. Yeah, uh, for sure. But that being said, um, and yes, there are some suspensions of disbelief that come after he survives, both in the fact that he survived and Rooster survived after trying to save him from like a hind helicopter trying to kill him and uh, them stealing an F-14. But 
them stealing an F-14 and then having a dogfight against those fifth-gen fighters was pretty freaking sweet. And it's so I'm, cool. I'm not going to hear any slander about that. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome, man. Like, the way that that, that that sort of bonus act happened yes. really caught me by surprise and, like, really made me okay with it. I was really, like, impressed with the way that movie ended because I was like, damn it, he should have died. And then, like, when Rooster comes back, I was like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, their meeting is hilarious. It's it, like that yeah. breaks the tension immediately. Mm-hmm. It's very good. Um, and then, yeah, the F-14 heist and then fighting the fifth gen fighters in the F-14 is oh. one of the most crowd-pleasing, like yes. jazzed-up endings mm-hmm. uh, to a, a big-budget blockbuster movie I've seen in a very, very long time. The yes. shit they did in that sequence is amazing. Oh, dude, so good. I mean, I've so I've seen it twice now, and I think I liked it more the second time, like the whole movie. Yeah. But then the ending, mm-hmm. especially, um, how they built up the the fifth gen fighters, and like, you know, they they mm-hmm. set up the underdog story of like, you're not gonna want to like go against them in combat, and so when they go and have to fight face off against them, it's like this oh shit moment, and like you kind of maybe know that it's probably they're gonna be a dog fight somewhere in the film. But yeah. they've built it up so well. And then, you know, they've set up the fact that the F-18s are um, under-equipped against these enemy mm-hmm. fighters. But then they're even in a more rickety uh, fighter plane that everyone's, like, saying is mothballed and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's a- also, like, them. that's, like, that's that's Maverick's bread and butter. Like, that's what he mm-hmm. learned on, you know? Like, yeah. So we get to see Maverick behind the – in the cockpit of an F-14 again. And, like, that's yeah. what he has to go out on. And, like, that was really, yeah. really great. And – what I liked about it is it is sort of Chekhov's F-14, but in a very, mm-hmm. in a much more subtle way. <laughs> yes. Um, because they mentioned that like it, when they're giving Tom Cruise the, or when they're giving Maverick the briefing at the beginning of the movie, they're like, yeah, there's this airfield here that has some, like, some F-18s and a couple old F-14s or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or does it have fifth gen fighters too? Um, anyway, it has some planes, but they, they mentioned like it has these and a couple old F-14s and that's kind of it as far as as far as the mention of it goes right then we see that we see even that payoff once again the narrative's so clean why the hell did they do the 12 people that dirty yeah yeah. Um, you know like it's once again very textbook setup payoff type thing Mm -hmm. uh and a very like organic way to get maverick behind the 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 controls of an f-14 again yeah and like and and with rooster you know as well yeah so with with goose's son it's like they figured out a way to get them together in the same plane and not having to be stupid (laughs) yeah and like it feels totally earned and like that sequence is so cool man like Mm -hmm. the the like the moves that that even Cruz does in the f-14 is cool and the moves that the the fifth gen fighters do are ridiculous yeah when when, like the the enemy fighter like goes in that weird stall out maneuver and like gets behind them it was so dope it's so cool i was and rooster's like what the fuck was that yeah yeah right yeah like everything about that sequence and like go go do some like fighter pilot shit you know is like oh so good yeah Um, it's a great pg-13 f word too like they used it perfectly yeah um and he, he's the, the maneuvers that Maverick's using, like he's using a lot of the maneuvers that have been set up previously in the film too. Like when he was dogfighting mm-hmm. against the other people in the mm-hmm. Topton school. So nothing yeah. feels like out of place. Nothing feels like super ass pulley. Um, yeah. You know, and, and you know, I, I'm, I'm sound like a broken record on this, but I'm going back to superhero movies one last time. I promise this is it. <laughs> um, 
a lot of them, like, they have, like, these 20, 30, 40-minute fight scenes that just go on and on, you know, in a city, and there's blue beams in the background and all this crap. And, like, they're punching each other, and they're punching... And there's, like, no limits, like, that are being defined in anything that they're doing. Like, the fight could, like, in arbitrarily whenever the writer says so, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's the rule of writing. But you have to kind of set up, like, realistic limitations and expectations of, okay, this is, like, the thing that would be the blow that ends it or whatever. And so many of these, like, super movies just feel like they could end arbitrarily at any point if the writer just decided to end it that way. Versus this, like, it feels like you understand the limits of, like, what the planes are capable of, you know, what how many munitions they have. Um, you know, like there's a point where Maverick runs out of missiles against the ME fighters. Yeah. Or he runs out of machine guns, and like you see the number go down on how much you know machine yeah. gun fire he's got. He runs left. out of flares. Right, right, exactly. And so you understand, like, oh, now they're like in deep shit. Like, oh no, like, like yeah. they they kind of need to like end the fight now, kind of thing, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's what adds tension to it. And but then you know, they get goes... the Hangman Han Solo and the Millennium Falcon thing. Right. That's also right. like a huge payoff because he's been grounded. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, and, and it was also a payoff for his character because the the joke about his character is always that he's gonna like lay, lead other people uh, yeah. to their deaths hang, and let them hang down. Hanging out to dry, right? That's why he's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and so you know, there's all these like little things where they set something and they deliver on it, and, mm-hmm. and like it's super basic, but like there's an art of script writing that's been completely lost over the last <laughs> generation. You know, like you set up uh, point A. And then you do point B, <laughs> like, yep. it, and we just like don't do that in movies anymore. It's great. Like all you need to do is just like set up two scenes. You got the the setup and the payoff. That's it. <laughs> yeah, it is so wild how unremarkable this movie is. Like, yeah, it, it, it's, it's so. Cr- the more I think about it, the more I'm like, there's nothing there, and that's the best thing about it. Yeah, yeah, I, I know. Like, I feel like we're like describing things that are like super fucking basic throughout all of this, and like are totally unremarkable. Yet, like weirdly have become remarkable because like yeah. Hollywood has totally lost the storytelling fundamentals. Yeah. Well, and like the, like outside of the technical aspect of it, formally speaking, there's nothing interesting about this movie. No. Um, aside from the meta context of like who Tom Cruise is in like the, uh, the world stage and like the incredible technical aspects to back it up. Other than mm-hmm. that, like it is so, but go read uh, any, go read any screenwriting book yeah and this is the movie that you will write at the end of it you know yeah it's it's so basic and that's its biggest strength it's so and i i once again sound like a broken record but it's still crazy to me like almost a week later that i'm this jazzed about something so simple yeah yeah no i know it it's been like living rent free in my mind for the last week um you know i I don't typically see movies twice in theaters and i've seen this movie twice yeah i wouldn't mind seeing it a second time either uh but and the other thing is like i you know i love the john wick movies but they have this layer of complexity especially three deep now with the stupid continental stuff like where that lore is getting really goofy and over the top Mm -hmm. and ridiculous I yeah. still love it. Um, mm-hmm, right. But, but like, it is it is far from the you killed my dog, I'm going to kill you back setup of the original. And even the <laughs> yeah. original has that has that, that, that weird lore built mm. into it. And that's what makes it special is that it takes the super basic premise and adds this weird, like, comic book sheen over it with the yeah. 
the whole like continental society and stuff like that. But this is even this is like if that didn't exist in John Wick, like literally, right. if it was just you killed my dog, I'm gonna kill you back. Yeah, um, right. The, like it's it's even more stripped down than the original John Wick, which the biggest praise people had for that movie is that it was a stripped down action thriller. Yeah, right. But you know, and the other difference is too is um, John Wick, as good as the first one is. It, the last act of it is not very good. Um, yeah. it, it it ends on a real weak note. Um, like yeah. there's a, a car chase that's not particularly exciting, and then like he goes and fights like this big bad you know Russian mafia boss who like really hasn't been set up at all to be like a heavyweight. Yeah. Um, in and terms he's of, also like, elderly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just like there's you have no doubt in your mind that John Wick can own this dude. Um, versus this movie, it does not blow its load midway through the movie. It builds up to the climax. The third act yeah. is the best act in the whole movie. Yeah. Um, and, and that's something else that like honestly has been lost over the years is there's so many movies like that just go all in like balls to the wall, like 30 minutes into the movie. And then like, it's used up all of its best stuff, all of its best action scenes, yeah. all of its best ideas. And then this, like it literally saves it till the end. Like, you know, I mean, it, it was filmed great throughout, but, wow. um, it doesn't even have like a lot of like one take scenes. It's like it's kind of edited a little bit like I don't want to say sloppily because that's not true. But like the last action scene is like edited and filmed like to a degree higher than the rest of the movie. So like the only other it, scene leading up to it that's comparable is the scene where Maverick becomes Maverick again. Yeah. Like where he, he does like the he, solo run. He does the solo run of the training that they're doing to prove to them that it can be done in even less time. Yes. Than them, and they go out of your way to like show you that Tom Cruise is really doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that scene is really exciting and cool too, because it's like, it's yes. Tom Cruise by himself doing like the Tom Cruise stuff you paid money to see him do. Right. Right. I would agree with that. That scene was also great. Um, mm-hmm. And, but they go in reserve, like the actual dog fighting and the other things like that yeah. for the ending and, and, and all that. So like, there's a great scene that's in the middle of the movie but then Mm -hmm. there's also another really great scene that's different because there's a lot of movies that's just Mm -hmm. like they do the same thing like three times there's like you know three big act uh set pieces or whatever and and they're all the same damn thing right Mm -hmm. um versus this like it it ends i think on the highest point that it could oh yeah for sure um to the point where like I knew they were going to do like an epilogue with Jennifer Connelly. Yeah. And I didn't want them to. I wanted it to end <laughs> yeah, on the boat, yeah. like the original Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, because like it ends on such a high note that it kind of like the feeling dissipates a little bit with that epilogue uh, a bit. Um, I also had to but... pee really bad. So <laughs> I was like, yeah. ah, I really wish this would have ended a lot sooner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, I think if it ended maybe like two minutes sooner, it would actually be like perfect. Um, yeah. But yeah. And that scene isn't like terrible or anything. No, 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 no it's not. Very yeah. attractive and, you know, yeah. very, like very charming as a performer. But it's just like, we know that's what was going to happen. <laughs> right. You know, like, right. I didn't need to know that. And like, like, that's one of the things for as much as I said, Top Gun doesn't really hold up. Uh, I think Top Gun does well is it ends right there with Iceman and, and Maverick reconciling <laughs> yeah, their differences. Yeah, it, and we know it, they kind of forgets like, and... the romance angle at the end, which is funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah, so this like, I don't know. I, I don't need to, I don't need to see, you know, that that he, he's got a stable life. I know that, you know, yeah. it's, 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 a, it's like telling kind of us instead of like, yeah, it's super implied. And especially, like, this is, once again, Filmmaking 101. This movie uses so many, like, 
basic building blocks to make something that feels so special. The first shot of Maverick in the movie is, I mean, let's see. Uh, it's the searchers. It's the, uh, yeah. it's the 1956 John Wayne obsolete man through the doorway end shot. That's the first shot of Maverick in this. Mm-hmm. And like, everybody knows that shot. That is yep. the, like, if you have any interest in film history and film criticism, you know that that's the searcher's shot. And mm-hmm. you know that, you know, that's the, the obsolete man. Like, that's why it's it's framed that way. Like, yep. they teach you that in every film class, even if you've taken one film class in junior college. Yep. And so I saw that and I was like, cool, we're doing this. Like, th- yep. this is, this is like, this is, this is Maverick's story of being the obsolete man becoming unobsolete. And I yeah. like that. Yeah. And yeah. so that, that arc that we set up for him in the first shot ends on that boat. Yeah. That is a good point. Um, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think there's maybe an argument for, you know, showing that he's maybe a little bit stable now or mm-hmm. something like that is maybe finally completing that. But it, I, I agree. It's almost extraneous to the point. Um, yeah it's i get it you know yeah like, yeah I'm, right I'm dumb. yeah um i would agree with that and it's funny you, you mentioned that because um about the searchers because i was reading an interview about how uh joseph kaczynski was while they were filming like watching a bunch of classic movies and then he would go and talk with people about like hey i just saw lawrence of arabia and they did this and uh-huh. like i was watching it last night and like i think that this is the kind of like feeling or mood or whatever like the guy was constantly like thinking about classic movies and watching cool. them throughout the production of this thing and trying to like draw um kind of de- either deliberate or thinking about like what is what is the implication of these shots which once again is like kind of basic filmmaking one-on-one but man when so many movies are made out of these like cookie cutter like factories that don't feel yeah. like they have any artistry behind it it's nice to see like that there was a guy who's like thinking about every freaking shot like before yeah. filming every day you know yeah i mean it makes me want to go back like i mean like i said i like tron and i didn't like oblivion that much but i didn't see only the brave and it kind of makes me want to go back and watch that because i feel like i might have been missing something with that yeah um, yeah there's the firefighter movie he made with miles teller mm-hmm. uh which the, also that movie the reason i didn't see it is because of how basic it looked <laughs> you know like yeah that movie looked real basic and i was like meh, eh, eh, eh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but i heard it was really good um and it's cool that he's he's gotten better at his craft that way and is like really sort of thinking about this stuff and like I don't know. I feel like Kaczynski has not really gotten, and we touched on this at the beginning of the episode, not really gotten the respect he deserves for what he's done to the movie industry in the 21st century. And I think, I think it's unignorable now um, yeah. after the success of Maverick that like that dude's, he's made a mark and, and he's got a presence. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's gonna be a lot of people um, evaluating this success and trying to, reverse engineer and figure out why this has been uh, as big of a hit as it has been. Because a lot of people were poo-pooing this uh, movie in general. Like, okay, who really wants to go and see a sequel to Top Gun like yeah. in 2020 or, you know, uh, like that one, that first movie wasn't even that good anyway nowadays, you know, and there's all these comments that I was reading, like, like this movie's not going to do so great at the box office. And then yeah. something, something sparked with people with this one. Um, yep. And I think they're going to be trying to, to diagnose it and, and, re-engineer it for a while um, i mean and... it's dads honestly yeah no it's like the it's ultimate dads. dad movie yeah there were so many uh, dads like mm-hmm. I, you know it's it's funny like my dad was not really this would not be a dad movie for my dad 
I I I think he he maybe would have wanted to see this one more because yeah. he liked a lot of Tom Cruise's recent output. But I know he was not a fan of Top Gun because he didn't like war movies. Mm-hmm. My dad was like an old hippie, so he didn't like anything having to do with war, so he didn't watch them. So like the sort of like dad movies like we in in the previous incarnation of the show we talked about Patton wouldn't that movie would have not gone over with my dad whatsoever (laughs) um so it's it's funny to see these this like super conventional dad movie that's like really kind of taking the world by storm yeah well you know for example my my dad is not a huge fan of the original top gun he thinks it's kind of corny actually um although he is he does like military movies in general Mm um but in in, in a broader spectrum you know there is there's something to be said about how the boomer audience in general has been left behind by movies mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. which you know like I, I could tell you about my parents for example but i can tell you about a lot of people our parents age is um they they mm-hmm. they do not vibe with the superhero comic book movie yeah. culture at all and they they feel very alienated by it and you know, maybe they gave like a couple of those movies a shot, but they are totally lost now in these yeah. franchises that have gone on like 20 plus movies. Right. Yeah. Um, and this is a movie that is for them that can be watched by virtually anyone, but they feel comfortable going to the movie theaters again. Cause they, I think in general, they feel very alienated by the marketplace of today. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I mean, this is the, what's the last movie you remember you could talk to anyone about? Cause I can talk to anyone about Top Gun Maverick right now. If, yeah, I mean, besides like, you know, the Force Awakens. Yeah, I'd say Force Awakens is probably the last one, you know, and maybe in game a little bit. Some people like who haven't yeah. even seen most of the movies, at least checked it out. Yeah, but, but not olds. Yeah, but not olds. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Force Awakens brought out the olds. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's like, I mean, you know, I, I know we're, it sounds flippant, but that's an untapped market that definitely yeah. showed up in droves. I mean, Hell, when I saw The Irishman, I mean, I was still living in Bakersfield, and that is not a town that turns up for art house movies at all. It was sold out, and it was mostly olds mm-hmm. um, because it was a Scorsese mob movie. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Because well, it, because it felt like it was a movie that was made for adults. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, and beyond like your art house movies, but not even those movies feel like they they hit uh, like people like our parents. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, or, some of these like movies uh, that are kind of like uh, Oscar type bait movies, right. they they are made for an older audience, but they don't have that like mass appeal for that older audience either. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, I Force Awakens is now seven years old. Okay, like yeah, that that's getting kind of up there in age too. That's pretty crazy when you think about it. Yeah. Damn, that movie uh, came out seven years ago. <laughs> yeah. That's wild. Um. But yeah, that's the last movie I remember I could just be like, oh yeah, everyone saw this. And like mm-hmm. now Top Gun Maverick is that movie, you know? Like, right. Even the Marvel stuff, like it's a, it's a, I would say it's a dwindling number of people I can talk to those. Yeah. Um, yeah. I agree with movie. you, especially post Endgame. It, yeah. It's getting kind of hard now to like talk to people about these movies and, yeah. and see if anyone's actually seen them. I mean, I've I, even skipped out on a couple of them. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's what I was going to say is like, as a matter of fact, I'm becoming someone who it's harder to talk about these movies with. Like, <laughs> I, yeah. I didn't see any of the MCU shit in theaters last year, except for the many, the many spiders men. And, uh, <laughs> The other three, I caught up with at home while my wife was gone. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I yeah. The even those like it's a dwindling, it's a it's diminishing returns, and they've hit it. And then this, they've found something that's kind of like real zeitgeisty. That's yeah. kind of struck a nerve with everyone, and I kind of feel like 
I feel like TV was that for a while. Um, yeah. Like there were just different TV shows that I feel like you could have talked to with anyone. I feel like the first couple seasons of Stranger Things, everyone watched. Yes. Um, but as far as a movie goes, it was it had to have been Force Awakens. And before yeah. that, I couldn't tell you. Uh, Dark Knight? <sighs> yeah, Dark Knight. And maybe maybe the first Avengers. Maybe the first Avengers. Maybe Inception? Yeah, yeah. Inception was one of those, I'd say. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, we're naming like five movies across uh, a dozen years now. <laughs> 14 years. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. So, I mean, that's that's pretty crazy to think about. Um, you know, I think some people are going to, some executives are going to take the idea of, we need more 80s reboots, but I'm not really honestly sure what what else there is left to reboot yeah. um, from that period. I actually think we'd like, this was the last remaining holdout, which is surprising. When Harry met um, Sally, too. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, um, The Breakfast Club, too. I mean, I don't know. Oh, The Breakfast Club is a movie I feel like we should remake. Uh, that's a movie I feel like is ripe for a reboot with a different, yeah. with a well, different I mean, set of kids. and, and the, Yeah, the I mean, there's, there's room, I think, to actually tackle it somewhat differently. Uh, yeah. I mean, Back to the Future, too, but, you know, Zemeckis is really against that. It's going to be until yeah. he, like, passes away that anybody makes another Back to the yeah. Future. I mean, indie, right? Like, that's that's a yeah. big one. Like, it, but, you know... But he already dude, had his reboot in a way, you know, 2008. Yeah, he did, but... Uh, I don't know. I mean, I talk about it a lot, but like, I just feel like they need to recast that character, and like, like, hard, I think he needs a hard reboot, like, yeah, um, you know, to, to yeah, like a James Bond, basically. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, uh, I, 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 I'm really interested to see what what the industry takes out of this because I don't know. I can tell you, like, yeah, most yeah. of the time, I feel like I can tell you, and I don't know what lesson they're going to learn. I can, yeah, be pretty sure I, it's I don't the think there's a simple one, formula to but... to to. Uh, actually say other than make a good movie <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. <laughs> which is hard to do i mean it's a happy accident when you make a good movie is like the realization that i think across this podcast i'm coming to is that like good movies are happy accidents there's so much that can go wrong at any point in the proceedings you know there's so many people involved that the fact that you actually end up with a good movie is slightly a miracle yeah um, i mean keep it simple stupid is is one of the things that they need to learn yeah <laughs> that we need to harken back to i think trying to do things um somewhat practically is mm -hmm. a good rule of thumb um, in terms of like adding some tension or weight but you still have to go and shoot it well and edit it well and you know have <laughs> characters that people care about and the situations they're in so you know even that's not not a foolproof plan obviously yeah i mean um, i heard that they did for you know the next movie we're doing on the show jurassic world dominion they did more practical effects for this than yeah they had the previous two and like yeah I'd still and it's care. still gonna be dog shit <laughs> yeah. this movie looks terrible <laughs> yeah right um you know and more the big claims to fame for force awakens is like oh we're going back to the old way of doing things and you know we, you know what we think of force awakens yeah it, but, but um, i mean you know, it worked for most people though we were in the minority yeah. on force awakens so right yeah we are in the minority um but you know at the end of the day uh when we're thinking about like successful reboots or you know se semi soft reboots or whatever you want to call that um you know this creed and then cobra kai i'd say are like the the holy trinity of reboot type casino royale like, yeah yeah oh wait, hey, I'll maybe i should go and rephrase it like sequel reboots you know yeah, like yeah, whether yeah. stealth sequels but also reboots of the concept yeah, yeah, a little yeah. bit yeah. yeah yeah for sure for sure and creed is another one of those movies that you know it's one of my favorite that movie is one of my favorite movies of all time like it is yeah in my top 10 favorite movies of all time i 
fucking love that movie yeah, so yeah. much. And you know what is uh, complicated about that movie? Nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not a thing. It is. Yeah. It is a very by the book sports drama. Yes. And, and you know, I mean, I, I say that that is you know well above this movie, uh, but th- this mm-hmm. movie has very similar qualities to it and um i think there's a character depth to creed that's not as much in this but they're two very different movies and they're both valid ways of making a movie um yes. and making a crowd-pleasing movie at that um, yeah yeah like the the what this movie lacks in character development and more than makes up for in like technical marvel and sp- yes spectacle like the spectacle of this movie is next level like, yeah I, right e- even even with like the star wars and, and marvel like i don't remember the last movie that got big scale spectacle right mm-hmm. i agree with you um the closest they got i think was like rogue one the ending of that was yes pretty good um but but this is on another level um and i think i think it's gonna be something that somebody's gonna take note of which is uh like I wouldn't be surprised if like there's going to be a Star Wars movie that tries to. I mean, obviously you can't go and film in in real X wings in space, but there's going to be an attempt to add oh, yeah. some like very similitude to the dogfighting or something like that. I that, feel like uh, the Rogue Squadron movie people are yeah. looking at this with like a jeweler's glass. Yeah. Uh huh. I, I think there's going to be right an attempt. To, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Rightly. I mean, I, I hope so. I, I think, you know, the days of people just being in a cockpit that's in a studio set with a green screen behind them is going to go away for a little while. The same way that, you know, John Wick, for example, really killed off the handheld shaky cam, quick cut action mm-hmm. scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hope that people take notice of the, the, the filming fundamentals that were at play in this movie. Yeah. And I think, uh, well, I guess the last large scale spectacle movie that I can think of is mission impossible fallout. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Which is another Tom Cruise movie. Like Tom Cruise is the only guy doing these movies. Even like, even The Rock is just in the jungle, like you know, with right. a bunch of CGI around him. Yeah, yeah, uh, you're right. I mean, you know, Tom Cruise has already perfected this formula before. It, it was the Mission Impossible movies uh, in yeah. terms of delivering, you know, real real world kind of scale and uh, stakes and stunts. So. Yeah, um, what this adds to that formula is like a character, because like Ethan Hunt isn't really like a character. No, he's just kind of like a guy. <laughs> yeah, there's there's no character behind him, and that's fine. Um, but there's no there's no like dramatic scenes in those movies, really. That like no, they try, but it's just like that character after seven movies still isn't that well defined, no. and it's kind of like too late almost. Yeah. It's fine. The new one looks yeah. awesome, so I yeah. don't really care, but. This this puts a little bit more heart behind that archetype than the, any of the Mission Impossible movies have. Yeah, I, I was more emotionally engaged in this than yes. I was in any Mission Impossible movie. Yeah, for sure. But the Mission Impossible movies do that spectacle thing so well that, it, uh, once again, doesn't matter. And honestly, yeah. this movie, I think, it could have gotten away with not really doing that either. Um, yeah. I think it would have been maybe a little bit worse, but not terribly. Mm-hmm. No, no. Yeah, um this this movie i think i would put over a lot of the mission impossibles just because i cared yeah. a little bit more yeah. um but yeah it, it could have gotten away with uh doing less so i i appreciate it um I, I think it's a good sign and i hope that people take the right lessons from it but like we said it, you know it's hard to define 
everything uh, about what it does well mm-hmm. uh, that it can be easily translated to something else. Yeah, well, I think it's just so building block simple, man. It's so yeah. like, I mean, it's it's such a it's it's weird because it sounds like we're it sounds like we're what we're talking about are criticisms, but it's so it's so baby brain simple that it's like mm-hmm. you know it, it's such a back to basics sort of go read the screenplay book and then write a write a movie based on what you learned in your screenwriting 101 class and yeah that's the I, movie I just think that uh you know most movies uh a lot of the writers nowadays are, are too focused on trying to outthink the audience when yeah that's not exactly a great storytelling fundamental to have yeah like, well I, and i think it, it it can only that that can only work in the hands of like a true kind of master you know like, yeah I think this is a, maybe a weird comparison, but with thinking about sort of star-powered vehicles, what's upon a time in Hollywood kind of plays around with stuff like that. But mm. I mean, Quentin Tarantino is like a master filmmaker, you know. He, right. He's 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 gonna go down in history as one of the all-time greats, and like you know, one of those once-in-a-lifetime type of filmmakers. Like those are the people who can get away with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. Not not everyone is as skilled or as capable to do yeah. that. But a lot of people think they are. Yes. Yes. Yeah. A, a lot of people in Hollywood are, are like, are not as smart as they think they are. And, yeah. you know, sometimes it's good to recognize your limitations. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's funny, too, because, like, you know, I, I guess we're kind of skirting around the name Ryan Johnson here. And <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't really want to talk about Last Jedi because we talked no, about no, it too much. No, uh, no. Yeah, I'm not but, interested but, in that either. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm thinking about Knives Out, which is like a twisty, labyrinthine um mystery movie and you know it goes some places Mm. and has some twists and turns and a lot of people saw that movie and a lot of people liked it i think it's his Uh most well-liked movie um Mm -hmm. which i I think rightly so i think it's one of his best movies um i like all his movies uh to put it out there but uh i think that's his most accessible movie for sure Mm -hmm. but there's nothing that complicated about it like the mystery portion of it I called that shit a mile away and I'm the dumbest person on the planet when it comes to, like, I never see the ends of stuff coming when it's like a mystery movie like that. Like I'm always, I'm always surprised. And as yeah, soon yeah. as Chris Evans, spoilers, as soon as Chris Evans showed up in that movie, I was like, Oh, he did it. And, yeah, right. Uh, you know, it was, but it's fine. I really like that movie. I've seen it twice. It's a movie that I think you can watch multiple times, even knowing the ending and find new stuff about. I think it's exceptionally well made. And so, you know, I, I think that, you know, you know, once again, Last Jedi kind of aside or whatever. Um, that's a Ryan Johnson movie that he doesn't try to outsmart the audience. He tries to make the audience feel smart along with the main character. And it mm. works really well. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and I, I wasn't even trying to invoke Last Jedi necessarily. I'm just thinking of things like Lost, for example, uh, mm-hmm. where, um, I mean... I, where it ends is not actually like the last episode itself is not bad, but right. you can, you could tell that um, throughout the entire making of that, they were reading forums and people's theories and yeah. continually trying to outsmart people when sure. I think sometimes like the smartest or the simplest explanation would have been like the fact that they're dead and purgatory <laughs> type thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it, but like they deliberately didn't want to do that because they didn't want to like deliver what people actually thought. And yeah. um, it, it's just things like that where it's like this entire generation of writers um, just thinks that like, oh man, people guessed the plot. Therefore, we were bad at our jobs. And it's like, 
no not necessarily <laughs> like yeah. breaking bad ends in a pretty predictable yeah. way actually but yeah we talk about super that satisfying lot, yeah oh it's great it's awesome one of the best endings to a show ever and like right so right i mean even the you know the second to last episode the that ryan johnson directed you know i mean yeah. I know he didn't write it but um you know another very like kind of predictable episode like it goes some places mm-hmm. but it's all it, it, like it it takes some twists and turns i didn't necessarily see happening but they didn't surprise me if that makes sense yeah like like it it, it went some places where i was like oh yeah you know and yeah i like that feeling <laughs> mm-hmm. i like that feeling of oh yeah mm-hmm. more more yeah. of that more of that. yeah yeah um, yeah because so, like, i mean yeah I, no, I, go I, think, ahead. I think a movie that makes you feel like like i don't know what i'm trying to say I, I guess i'll use knives out as an example again like it's a movie that you follow this story with you know benoit blanc who's the the daniel craig character in that movie and then it ends and he reveals the big plan and you're like oh yeah and there's mm-hmm. some stuff that you know it kind of plays its hand close to its sleeve or close to its chest chest a little bit to kind of mm. do some like big reveal stuff but it's not surprising at yeah. the end like the yeah. motivations and stuff of the characters are not surprising mm-hmm. um so you know it's weird to, they're very different movies from from top gun maverick but it is this very like i mean it's a very simple mystery movie too yeah like there's nothing flashy about that movie really at all in the same mm-hmm. way right but you know it it, it, it it harkens back to like a, a long lost genre of film that yeah you know like that whodunit mystery with like a a, a star-studded cast type thing and there's something that's just like cozy and reassuring about yeah. that that we we have lost that um and so even a movie that's pretty simply done is just so mind-blowing like oh my god it's so refreshing to see this yeah i mean in a theater was, you know what that was the last movie i could talk to anyone about was knives out hmm I think, especially once it hit streaming for free, everyone watched that movie with their family. Mm -hmm. Um, For the most part, everyone. I don't think I've talked to someone who didn't like that movie. Um, But, I mean, it wasn't a hit the way this is because because it's not an action movie, you know. Um, But it it was really interesting to kind of see that happen in the wake of last Jedi too. Like yeah. everyone was so like mad at him. And then he made that. And everyone was like, well, all right, that was, pre- that was pretty good. Movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And like, it, and it was kind of neat, you know, to sort of, I don't know, see that, that for the most part, uh, maybe, maybe, you know, just on the parts of the internet I'm on, people didn't really like, use it as a as an excuse to bash his last thing you like, mm-hmm. like oh you made a really good movie dude and kind of left it at that and like mm-hmm. in the wake of everything that happened around his last movie it was mm-hmm. really it felt very like breath of fresh air to be like yeah oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah no that's for sure um and I, I agree with you um i mean i haven't seen large parts of knives out so i can't comment on it but mm-hmm. um it never felt like the discussion around that movie really was dictated by his last, his previous movie. Um, no, no, it yeah. wasn't. Um, yeah, I, it's but, so um, it's so different. It's such yeah. a such a completely different beast that like it would be it, like I feel like if you even brought it up, you'd be like, "Why the fuck? What? <laughs> like this? Yeah, not even close to the same type of movie." Yeah, but I mean that movie once again it 
it was a movie that could be enjoyed by all ages and mm. um, by people who feel like they've been mostly left behind and neglected by the movie theaters. And That movie um, olds turned out for, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and like stuff like Death on the Nile or yeah. you know, Murder on the Orient Express, those kind of things. Um, yeah, people showed up for Murder on the Orient Express. No one saw Death on the Nile. Yeah, yeah. And so something changed between then. But, yeah. um, you know, I just think... There's something to be said, uh, especially with how fickle younger audiences can be about, I think, you know, movie habits and viewing habits are changing. Um, that mm-hmm. maybe alienating like the people who like literally spent the last 50 years of their lives being comfortable with like watching movies in a theater might actually be a more reliable audience than people who are like 15 years old and have been raised up by cell phones, you know? Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. There's something to be said about that. Um, and we'll, well, we'll see what Hollywood learns from that. Yeah. I mean, to loop it back into this Irishman thing, full circle, I guess, like I, did you see what Netflix said recently about the Irishman? No. Some bullshit is what they said. <laughs> they said, uh, they were like, Oh, we're going to focus less on spending, uh, on, on, um, you know, costly vanity projects like the Irishman. And I was like, screw you, man. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Um, like what one, if anyone has deserved a victory lap, it's, those four dudes at the center of that movie <laughs> um do it's one of your best movies like because you have nothing but trash on your surface besides that and buster scruggs and yeah. um as far as movies go i like i think you should leave in cobra guy too and stranger things but yeah. like they, they're better at tv than they are at movies but like yeah. it was so stupid to throw that movie under the bus and like it's also really funny to say that and then look at the success of Top Gun Maverick because you know what it is? A really expensive vanity project. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you're absolutely right about that. No, the fact that something's a vanity project is not in and of itself a bad thing. Yeah. And yeah, The Irishman is also a vanity project, but you know who's earned it? Fucking Martin Scorsese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, one of the things, maybe this can like wrap it up, is um, yeah. like, just because something's a vanity project doesn't mean it's good. Just because something or it doesn't mean that's bad. Just because something is um, an '80s throwback doesn't mean that it's good. Um, just yeah. because something is filmed practically doesn't mean it's good. It, there's something. There's another element to these things that make them good. You can't just like reduce everything to like just a simple formula. Um, but yeah. what you have to have is you have to have good characters. You have to have a plot that, whether it's complicated or it's simple makes sense and it and fits yeah. the themes and the mm-hmm. the vibe and the tone of the movie uh and you just have to have good direction because this movie was you know filmed like crazy mm-hmm. um it has verve it has energy the way it's edited is, is well done um it, that those are the things that make a good movie to me um and yeah. and this movie exemplified it yeah for sure and it, it just it's so I mean, for as by the book as it is, it feels real special. Like, yeah, yeah. because because of how refreshing that mm-hmm. is. Yeah. Like, it, if I was going to use one word to describe it, it would be refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, there's nothing to it. And it's a really great afternoon at the movies. And you're, mm-hmm. you're in and you're out. Yep. Really good movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really, really good big, big budget popcorn movie. Like the the definite look it up in the dictionary it's this poster you know like yep it, it's so it, it's it's so wild that that's something this this 
this simple is taking the world by storm and everyone's just like man that's so good <laughs> yeah and hopefully the studios learn from it we'll see um the next movie we're going to talk about does not seem like it um, but uh, also, is, is it was not made in the shadow of it, I suppose. No, no, it, it's not. Um, but yeah, I think uh, the next movie will demonstrate that Hollywood will always have two sides to it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and but we'll see. Maybe, maybe a couple years from now, we'll see the fruits from this one. Yeah, for sure. Uh, speaking of the next movie, it is going to be Jurassic World Dominion. Um, Corey Tindall is going to be joining us and he'll be joining Ooh. us for a majority of the summer um, as a third co-host. Uh, Missy's on a bit of a sabbatical right now. So um, we wanted to keep the, the, the three hand dynamic of, uh, of the show that we've cultivated over the last couple of years. Um, the big promise uh, that I have is to get content to you more regularly Um let's jobs for a minute my other podcast is no longer weekly it was really demanding um to do that weekly and we were switching up the format of that show so uh every other week is is when you well you you should be hearing this if you're listening to the day it came out on june 10th 2022 you will get another episode next week june 17th 2022 and from there it will be a bi-weekly release schedule um and you should be getting those pretty consistently every other friday after june 17th um we have through the beginning of august planned if there's anything you want us to cover maybe hit us up because we are at a loss after august (laughs) yeah so after august after the august 12th we don't have anything on the schedule so we're more than open uh to that um we have some guest spots uh Matter of fact, I got a, we booked a guest while we were talking. Um, and yeah, uh, Jurassic World Dominion, Obi-Wan, Stranger Things 4. That might be a two-part episode. Stay tuned. Uh, yeah. And then uh, we're going to do a, uh, I'm calling it Cape Shit Catch-Up. Um, <laughs> uh, at the end of July, we're going to do the, the, uh, the Batman and Spider-Man No Way Home at the end of July, since we never did those. Um, we might do a little bonus uh, Doctor Strange because I want to talk about a Sam Raimi movie. Um, and yeah, and then Prey, which is the new Predator movie coming out on Hulu. Only, unfortunately, I want to see that movie in a theater so bad um, on the 12th of, of August for you. So that's going to be the rest of the summer. Um, yeah. Uh, Mike, do you have anything to plug? Uh, no, nothing besides the fact that um, I had an audiobook recently come out uh, for The Ashen Prophecy. It's narrated by Graham Mack. He did a fantastic job. He's a UK radio host and radio producer. He really adds a lot of life to the characters and the story, and I'm really proud of it. So if you want to check that out, that's on Amazon and Audible. Yeah. Uh, for me, let's Jaws for a minute. We're on a bit of a sabbatical as well right now. Um, we're done with Jaws and took a year and a half and there is 80 episodes of minute by minute or thereabouts uh, talking about uh, uh, Jaws. It's, it's, it came out to just under 100 hours. So 90, it's like, 
It's stupid. I should have figured out how to add three minutes to the last episode because it was like two <laughs> hours and 58 minutes long. Um, so it's it's like 97.58 or something stupid. Uh, it might cross over 98, but it's almost 100 hours of, of podcast that you can go listen to. It's available on any platform, much the way this is. Um, we are That is not the end of Let's Jaws for a minute. That is the end of the minute-by-minute minute format. Um, what's coming up next is one episode each we will not be doing each one of the sequels minute by minute but we're going to do an episode on jaws 2 an episode on jaws 3 and an episode on jaws 4 um and then after that we're going to be doing every steven spielberg movie from duel through hook in 1991 with the exception of close encounters of the third kind and always because um the idea is that we're going to do uh all the spielberg movies all the roy schneider movies all the Robert Shaw movies, all the Richard Dreyfuss movies. We have years of that show planned out already. Um, so the first thing is going to be part one of Steven Spielberg's filmography, um, starting with Duel after Jaws of Revenge. When will you be able to hear that? Uh, Sarah suffered a pretty severe ankle injury that has her pretty immobilized right now. So you will hear that when you hear that. But when you do hear that, it will be on the opposite Friday of when this show comes out. So you will hear my stupid voice once a week, every Friday, if you want, um, is, <laughs> is the gist of it. So every Friday, there will either be a Let's Jaws for a minute or a Real Perspective available. And uh, for the first time, those worlds are colliding. So Sarah is going to come on here to talk about uh, Stranger Things 4 with us. And then, Mike, you're booked on an episode. Um, mm -hmm. Pretty late. You're in, I don't think you're in the first season of, um, of, of Spielberg. What are you talking about? What Do you remember? Uh, wait, say that again? What Spielberg movie are you booked to talk about? Oh, I was going to talk about, um, shoot, was it going to be... War of the Worlds? I don't. I feel like I. I don't know. I need to think uh, about that for a second. We'll talk about it. Uh, where is that? Yes, it is. Um, yeah. So that's, that's in Spielberg thought. season two. So, um, but you should hear Missy on Spielberg season one. She's going to come on there to talk about Hook, and then Corey is going to be on Spielberg season three to talk about The Post. Um, Michael also be on a very special episode of. Uh, Spielberg's filmography, but we'll talk about that when it comes to fruition. Uh, yeah. yeah, so that's the plan for Let's Jaws for a minute. Sorry, I know there was a lot, but a lot's happened with that show since we last recorded. Um, yeah, other than that, follow me on Twitter is probably the best place. It's like the only social media I use at MJSmith891. If you want me to watch your stories on Instagram, follow me on Instagram and I'll follow you back. I don't really post on there. I don't really do stuff on Instagram, but I like watching stories. It, those are interesting. Um, so if you want me to watch your, your, your Instagram stories, uh, at MJSmith891 on there, um, yeah. Until next time, an unnamed country is the bad guy. <laughs>